This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. In fly fishing, we often narrow down fly presentation into three main categories. First and foremost, above all, the ultimate expression of fly fishing is the dry fly. And this is a way you can fish all day long, not getting a single bite and still somehow have an incredibly cathartic experience. That might not be true for you, but a lot of people do feel that way. So you're fishing a dry fly, you're fishing a fish, a fly that is intended to fool fish into thinking that there is a bug that has fallen on top of the water and is staying on top of the water. So that is dry fly fishing, top of the water. Then you have your various subsurface ways of fishing, and the two primary ones are nymphs and streamers. Streamers, of course, get pulled through the water. Oftentimes they are fished low. Sometimes they're fished just subsurface, and you can even fish streamers on top of the water. That's not what today's podcast is talking about, but that might be something worth uh, going over and covering in a future episode. Nymphs, of course, are where all of the magic happens. That's where you're going to catch all of your fish. You might not catch as big of a fish as you're catching with streamers. You might not catch fish in the pretty way that you would catch them if you're you're fishing a dry fly, but you're going to catch a lot of fish if you are fishing nymphs. And a lot of the techniques and strategies and flies that are tied these days are really focused around getting your fly deep and getting it to as many fish as possible. So tight lining is very popular. Strike indicators are uh, utilized uh, alongside weights to get your flies in uh, the precise position so they are just above bouncing along the bottom. And uh, nymphs are tied with beads and with weighted bodies so that those flies can get down there. But there's an uh, other way to fish nymphs. 
In fact, it's a way that's incredibly productive. Now, real quick, let me sidebar before I get into the the body and the meat of this podcast. I know there's other styles of fishing. I know that fishing terrestrials is actually different than fishing uh, dry flies. I know that fishing wet flies is different than fishing nymphs or streamers. I know that there's other styles and other techniques and other things that can be done. And again, like I said, those would be things that would be worth a podcast episode alone or at least a compendium podcast that listed off alternative ways of fishing uh, presentations of normal flies. But today's podcast is talking about fishing in the surface film or in those few inches just below the surface. Now, you might say, well, isn't that what a dry fly is? Well, it is and it isn't. Um, Because fishing a dry fly inevitably means that your fly is sitting on top of the water. And if you actually look at photographs or with your naked eye, you pay attention to where that fly is sitting, they are usually not breaking the surface tension. In fact, that's when you're getting your best drift. So consider a, um, a strike indicator, you know, or even just a foam fly, so like a popper. Then if you have a popper that doesn't have a long feather tail, then and it just maybe has a little bit of hackle wrapped around the shank of the hook, then the body of that fly, the, the foam head, and the hackle of that fly, the majority of that hackle is sitting above the water. So it's depressing down on the surface of the water, but although water is liquid, it is not permeable with, you know, with without some sort of force. So you'll actually see that things that are sitting on the water are depressing the water down. So that is more than we need to know to talk about how we're fishing today. But that's kind of the difference between fishing a dry fly and fishing a fly in the surface film. Now, there are some dry flies that are designed to be fished in the surface film so that certain aspects of the body of that fly are submerged while the majority of that fly is above the water or vice versa. A minority of that fly is above the surface where the majority of it is sitting down in the uh, in, in the surface film and just below the surface film, actually utilizing the tension created by that surface film to suspend that fly in a really magical place that fish love to feed in. And you'll see this. I don't have the science to back it up, but I, will, I believe that fish readily rise to flies that are sitting just in the surface film or just below the surface film with more confidence than to flies that are on the surface. Now, is that a tried and true rule? Have I talked to fish personally? No, but I've observed it. And then even in heavy hatches, having a crippled fly that is laying in that surface film and maybe has a one wing sticking up um, over the over over the surface, but a lot of the body of that fly has been designed to be in the surface film and below the surface film. I find that those flies are the flies that fish gravitate to more often than not. And I think the reason for it is, and certainly people have written about this and talked about this in much more educated ways and with much more experience than I can offer. But what I believe to be the reason is that these are flies that fish can see more. Think about it. Go underwater this summer in your pool and look up things that are sitting floating on the surface, whether it be a pool toy or something like that, uh, a stick, a leaf. It is silhouetted against the sky. It becomes distorted because of the surface tension of the water, because of refraction, and because of the sunlight. Yet the thing that is sitting just a few inches below that's floating down is something you can see much more easily. So for fish, whose primary purpose in life, 95% of the time, is to identify and consume food, 
when they can identify it easier and they can consume it easier, everything is a, a math problem to them. How much energy do I need to expend to get up in the water column and to consume this food? They're going to much more readily take things they can see and approach easier. What's the other 5% of a fish's life, you ask? It's making fish babies and hiding from predators. Anyway, so that's why fishing slightly subsurface or in that surface film is so important. So how do you go about doing that? Well, as I mentioned before, there are flies that are specifically tied to accomplish this. You think of a clink hammer. You think of um, flies that are tied as cripples. And one of the ways that you see this is that the hackle is uh, thicker with a body that is extending uh, down past the hackle, which is the way that every dry fly looks. But they are tied such that the hackle rides flush parallel with the surface of the water and that body extends downward. Uh, you know, another great way to make this happen is you fish the dry fly over and over and over again until it gets chewed up and you have to run it through your fingers countless times to dry it off and to apply float into it. It just starts to look ugly and it doesn't float well. Well, guess what? You have created a cripple fly and that's why I don't throw flies away. I probably should throw them away more, but when you have flies that are really beat up, then they will inevitably, because they have lost some of the integrity of their construction and the materials utilizing their construction have lost some of their integrity, they will start to drop into that surface film. So you might even have the experience of a fly that's been caught a lot of fish is now catching even more fish. Whereas if you tie in a new fly, it doesn't seem to have that same magic. And I think this is probably the main reason for it. And you also have confidence in a fly that you've been catching fish with. But I digress. So that's one way to do it. You fish a fly that has been specifically designed for that purpose. And there's countless of these flies out there. But another way, an even simpler way to do this is by the application of floatant. So this is one of the ways I love to fish dry midges. Um, and this is a midge fly that is tied just like a small dry fly. It has a hackle, maybe a wing if someone's getting kind of showy, and then a body and a very delicate tail. And, you know, you fish these in, you know, your 20s, 22s, and 24s. And you can apply floatants to that fly. But when you get to that small and you have such small, delicate hackle fibers, I am not a fan of gunking them up with, with floatant, uh, particularly if you're using a thicker floatant. There are some very, very liquid, viscous floatants that uh, are beneficial in these situations, but certainly not a thick, goopy floatant and also not a powder floatant. But what you can do is you can apply floatant to the leader just six to eight inches up your rig from that fly. Now, what that will do is it will now float that incredibly delicate 6X or 7X and that fly, which is going to be naturally buoyant because that hook is incredibly light and it has floating materials tied onto it, the hackle in particular, that hackle, which is not only floating on its own, if you were to drop a feather on the water, it's going to float for quite a while before it becomes saturated, but also in the way that it's tied, the palmering of that fly so that the hackles are sticking out in every different direction, those are going to trap air bubbles and that surface tension is going to be much harder to break because of the light materials and the air bubbles that get trapped in those hackle fibers. So by applying floatant up, upstream, <laughs> up the rig from that fly, you are creating a situation where that fly is then going to float much longer and much better. But what will also happen is as those bubbles begin to pop and as the thread in that body begins to get saturated, it will start to drop 
into the water column through the surface tension and really just sit there because it's not going to all happen immediately. It's not going to become saturated and drop like a rock because it has that buoyancy and because of how um, the, the materials are going to hang on to some naturally buoyant uh, um, bubbles and things like that. It is going to sit in that surface film because it's going to be fighting against that surface tension. It actually takes work for materials to sink. And when they're very light, that's going to happen more often than not. So that's a great way to fish. Another nice thing about this is that you can usually, depending on how glass the water is, water is and how far away you are from it, is that if you grease up that leader in a couple of different places, you maybe do it six to eight inches above the fly, like I said, and then you do it some a couple of feet um, past that, you're probably able to key in on that leader that is floating on the water. It'll glisten. It'll have, you'll, you'll be able to see where it is impacting the surface tension of the water. And it creates a little bit of a roadmap in your eye to where that very, very tiny fly is. And so you're able to uh, then identify when you get rises. Now the rises aren't necessarily going to be that picturesque rise like you get on a dry fly, but sometimes they're a little bit more violent. You're going to see fish slash at flies. You're going to see fish jump out of the water, come down at flies. All that stuff happens to dry flies too, but usually your loudest, splashiest rises are actually rises to flies that are emergers, subsurface flies, things like that. And I guess that's really when it comes down to it. A lot of the times, it's not just crippled flies that the fish are going after. They're going after flies that are emerging. So these are natural bugs that are coming from the bottom of the stream. They are breaking out of their husk. They're breaking out of their larval form. And they are trying to get to the point where their little legs and their little wings and their little soft bodies are able to take flight from the top of the water. So a lot of these flies are tied with wing cases, which actually create phenomenal buoyant um, uh, constructions where they, it is basically a bubble on the back of this fly. And you can even tie them with foam. So the foam is really the only, it's a, a nymph with a little foam wing. So it's going to be half underwater and half above water. That's another type of fly that you can fish in this situation. And which kind of gets me to my next point. You don't only fish dry flies in that surface film and just below the surface. You can also fish nymphs. Now, more often than not, this is going to imitate that emerger, like I just mentioned. And that is one of the most effective ways of fishing. But more often than not, what you're doing when you're fishing an emerger is basically fishing a dry fly in that surface film. But you can also fish nymphs. You can also fish wet flies uh, right below the surface film and have incredible success. So to do this, a couple of things are necessary. First, you cannot fish a weighted nymph. If you have a nymph with a big heavy bead head, if you have nymphs with wire bodies, if you have nymphs that have wire or lead wraps underneath their bodies, then this is not the fly to be using. These are the run-of-the-mill weightless nymphs. These are great to have on hand. They're great to have on hand because they are incredibly useful in complicated nymph rigs. So kind of diverting for a moment from the main topic of this conversation, having weightless nymphs are great for integrating into your nymph rigs. You have an incredibly heavy fly, and then you might have a weightless fly either below it or above it. And those different situations do completely different things, completely change the dynamics of your rig, and sometimes really change the dynamics of your cast for the better. But that's not for this podcast. But just know you need to have weightless nymphs in your nymph box. So getting back to fishing them in the surface film or subsurface. The easiest way to do this, and what a really fun way to, to fish like this, is to actually use floatant on your nymphs. 
use floatant on your nymph. So it's got to be a weightless or yeah, weightless nymph. Now you can use it on a weighted nymph. And one of the cool things that you can do with this, I know that kind of all over the place, but if you put uh, floatant on a weighted nymph, um, it will still sink, but sometimes it will hang on to air bubbles. And those air bubbles are precisely what those bugs use to elevate themselves sometimes in, in this, the water column when they're trying to take off. So it adds a little bit of something. It's something that we try to imitate utilizing sparkly fibers and uh, really buggy uh, body construction when we tie our flies. But you can also kind of take the quick and dirty way out by putting a, uh, a layer of floatant on your nymphs that you fish, even weighted nymphs, and it will trap air bubbles and uh, as they drop in the water column. So it's not perfect, but it, it does does the job well. But if you put uh, floatant on your weightless nymphs, they will start to take on water, but they'll also stay in that water in that water surface and the tension, or they will be really struggling to, to stay afloat. So they're going to be in those few inches. Now, you'll see fish go after buggy nymphs. And this is where they, they do need to be buggy um, for this to work if they're really tightly wound. So great example is you think of a waltz worm, very simple pattern, great pattern catches all sorts of fish. Anybody can tie it, you can tie a waltz worm. And you can tie it with really, really tight noodles of uh, dubbing material, or you can tie it real thick and buggy. If you tie it real thick and buggy, it is a very, very versatile fly. Um, it's not going to sink as quickly as if it is tied tightly or if it has weight on it. But if you tie it really buggy, then you are going to be able to fish that fly in a number of ways, including in the surface film. And it will imitate an emerger. It will imitate a nymph that is simply high in the water column. What it's going to be, really what it comes down to, is a bug that the fish can see as that fly is moving through the water. And like I said before, that's what fish are in the business of doing is identifying and consuming food. And I don't know if you noticed this, fish don't have uh, opposable thumbs. They cannot grab uh, bugs and look at them. They All they have to do is look at it with their eyes, then use their, their mouth to determine food stuff or not. And if it's buggy enough, it's going to be considered food stuff. So even if they go to spit it out, you're going to have a moment where we're able to set that hook. So using floating on your nips is a great thing to do. Another thing that you can do to, uh, to go after fish that you're seeing is kind of rolling in the surface. You're not sure what they're doing. Maybe they're going after mergers. Maybe they're taking bugs that are simply just drifting just below the surface is that you can actually fish a weightless nymph uh, without any sort of added weight under a strike indicator. Now, I actually like fishing this way when I'm seeing fish do some weird stuff in faster water because I want two things out of my strike indicator. I want to keep that fly only a few inches below the water surface or right up against the surface. And I also want to identify where my fly is in faster water or if I'm having to make longer cast in faster water. Now, this doesn't mean that you have a bobber two inches or one inch above your fly, whether this be a submerged uh, dry fly, a submerged emerger, or a submerged nymph. What this means is that you are probably, depending on the speed of the, the river uh, and the current, you're talking a foot to even two feet up past your fly. So this is where having subtle strike indicators, skewing the uh, thingamabobbers and the big ugly floating things that work really, really well, but those, you know, save those for when you're fishing five, six feet down. 
um, when you're trying to fish only a few inches down, then go to something simple and something that is not going to create a lot of disturbance on the surface for that fish's kind of peripheral vision. So this is where I like to fish pulses, um, those little stick on strike indicators. Very, very subtle. Don't really impede your cast a whole lot. Uh, they're not very versatile, but again, what you're doing is you're only trying to fish a few inches down. You're not trying to gauge where your fly is in the water column. You're trying to just keep it just below the surface. And so I will fish all of those submerged flies in faster water with a strike indicator about a foot to 18 inches above them. And this uh, keeps them just a couple inches below the surface, giving a great presentation all the way across your drift because as soon as that that fly hits the water it's going to sink down to where you want it but as soon as it sinks down to where you want it it's going to get sucked downstream by a faster current so you're just going to have that fly kind of dancing behind your strike indicator um, as it moves downstream now of course this is a situation where you have fish that again not a tried and true rule but i feel like as they rise in the water column they become more selective and more picky about things like drag if something is not moving naturally on the surface or close to the surface of the water i feel like they're much more um, prone to uh, to turn their noses and their tails and, and get away and so you're gonna have to pay attention to drag lots of mending so you have all the things going against you maybe a longer cast maybe a faster current and a strike indicator. So it's going to take some work to mend, but it can be an incredibly effective way to present your fly. So that was three kind of basic ways to present flies and fish flies immediately in the surface tension or just below the surface. So you can allow your dry flies to sink, you can make your wet flies float, and you can utilize a strike indicator to keep your wet flies exactly where you want them to be. Um, I guess the, the fourth thing and the, and the absolute easiest thing, but you will have to incorporate one of those techniques is to buy flies that are specifically designed to stay in that surface tension. Um, but they will eventually sink or they will need some help getting down. And uh, you also want to make sure you can see them because they are can potentially be subtle rises. But like I said, more often than not, they're going to be attacking these flies pretty well. So again, very niche thing to talk about, but something that you ought to be implementing into your fly fishing. Don't only fish on the surface, don't only fish bouncing on the bottom, and don't only fish stripping streamers in. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you have a way of fishing in the surface tension or fishing subsurface, do let me know. I would love to hear it. Matthew at castingacross.com. That's Matthew at castingacross.com. This week on the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast, uh, the very first article was called Casting Across on Fish Untamed. Casting Across on Fish Untamed. So Fish Untamed is another podcast. It's actually another podcast that is on the Waypoint Podcast Network where Casting Across exists at this moment in time. And so I had an opportunity to sit down with Katie and she asked me questions. So uh, usually when I'm on this podcast, podcast you're listening to, you get to hear me talking about what I want to talk about. Here, I was talking about what Katie wanted to talk about. So Casting Across on Fish Untamed, check it out. I talk a little bit about how I got into fly fishing, what Casting Across is all about, and then also ways that you can do research on where you can fish close to you, which is something I, I really enjoy encouraging people to do. Wednesday's article is called River Apollo 2. So this is the second installment in my story, River Apollo. And uh, one of the cool things about it actually is as I am writing each each section, I go back and make some tweaks to the original. So even if you read River Apollo 1, I made some changes to River Apollo 1 uh, now that River Apollo 2 is out. So they, I mean, they're not long. They run about 500, 600 words. So that's, you know, a few minute read. But uh, again, just a little bit of, of an opportunity for me to flex a different part of my writing muscles.
This week's recommendation on the podcast is the Risen Fly Fishing Genesis Fly Rod. I've talked about this rod before. I have written about it and reviewed it, and I've actually answered a few emails just in the last few weeks about the Genesis rod uh, because I've got some reviews out there on the website and on YouTube. Um, but if you are looking for a entry cost fly rod, you can do a whole lot worse than the Risen Fly Fishing Genesis. I fish the seven and a half foot three weight and I absolutely love it. It is in my rotation of rods that cost four and five times as much as this rod. I also uh, fish the five weight and that's kind of my go-to rod to hand off to people who are getting into, into fly fishing because it's a great casting rod. Um, and it's easy to kind of get into the rhythm of that kind of medium, medium fast action. Looks great rod. It's got a dark red, um, a body with lighter red wraps, uh, quality components. Uh, again, you could probably spend twice as much for the exact same rod and some other companies that are out there. But again, I highly recommend the seven and a half foot three weight phenomenal rod retails at 119, but prison always has sales deals and promotions that are going on and free shipping if you if you buy a fly rod. So I'll put a link to the risen fly fishing Genesis on this podcast show notes over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.